This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to the Diabetes Knowledge and Practice podcast, your bi-weekly source of news, views and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk, who has had no influence on the content or choice of faculty. Once again, I'm James Bannister. And I'm Emma Phillips. As our final episode of this season, this session will focus on future trends in diabetes care. What will practice look like in the next year or even further ahead? After a quick review of recent studies, ongoing clinical trials and published perspective pieces, we'll join Dr. Vanita Aroda for her thoughts on what the future will bring. If you're already an expert in technology and trends, do feel free to skip ahead to this interview. For further reading, you can also find links in the episode notes to all the publications and guidelines we mentioned in today's episode. The last few years have demonstrated a clear shift in clinical practice across the medical landscape towards individualised treatment, and diabetes is no exception. Personalised glycemic targets have been recommended since 2012, and the publication of the 2018 AASD-ADA Joint Position Statement provided a clear, detailed algorithm for the selection of pharmacological therapy depending on specific patient circumstances. This increased individualization of care may have contributed to the improvement in patient outcomes over the last 20 years. As identified by Raleigh et al. in their 2017 meta-analysis, Diabetes 2030, Insights from Yesterday, Today and Future Trends, annual incidences of diabetes-related complications fell significantly between 1999 and 2009, including renal failure by 26%, amputations by 65%, and myocardial infarction by 68%. Furthermore, a model by the authors projected a 25% reduction in diabetes-related death between 2010 and 2030. Across diabetes, it is clear that we're continuing to optimise care. However, as the population of people with diabetes continues to grow, clinicians are challenged to further improve practice with fewer resources. Alongside this trend is a shift in the relationship between patient and clinician, which is facilitated by changes in available digital technology. Writing in Diabetic Medicine last January, David Kerr and colleagues proposed that the focus of technological innovation will provide meaningful individual and family support between clinic visits. This is a shift we're already seeing across healthcare, particularly for chronic conditions that require specific management. Smartphone apps have been developed that allow for easier measurement, tracking and reporting of disease-related health data. For example, in atrial fibrillation, the ESC have developed two partner apps that allow patients and their clinicians to assess treatment success by monitoring symptoms. An example in the field of diabetes is the Agamatrix Diabetes Manager, which, when connected to a continuous glucose monitor, allows patients, caregivers and healthcare professionals to track blood glucose in real time or as regular emailed reports. Health data apps such as these help both patient and clinician to improve self-management and allow for easier reporting of treatment outcomes. Data are already emerging, demonstrating the clinical utility of these apps. As reported by Kabede and Pishka in March in Frontiers of Endocrinology, use of a diabetes app for self-management was associated with an increased self-care score. In particular, the apps were associated with higher scores for blood glucose management, general diet and physical activity. Alongside digital technology, a number of first-in-class therapeutics are currently in development for the potential treatment of diabetes. Two, in particular, are approaching the end of the development pipeline, tazepatide and amegalamin. Tazepatide is a dual GIP and GLP-1 receptor agonist, currently in phase 3 trials. 
The molecule was designed to further activate related incretin pathways to enhance the effects of conventional GLP-1 receptor agonist therapy. GIP is an incretin that is also secreted in response to food, and studies of its physiological effects and where its receptors are expressed suggested that the activation of GIP receptors may have pharmacological benefit. Clinical trials of tizepatide support this theory, with phase 2 trials observing reductions in HbA1c and body weight as high as 1.94% and 11.3 kg in the 15 mg dose group. However, there are some concerns surrounding the rate of gastrointestinal events with the dual agonist compared to conventional GLP-1 analogues. Other GIP and incretin hormone receptor agonists are under investigation as potential therapeutics. Emeglamin is an oral tetrahydrotiazine compound that has recently concluded several phase 3 trials, the first of which was presented at this year's EASD meeting. Emeglamin acts as an oxidative phosphorylation blocker with three main physiological effects a reduction in hepatic gluconeogenesis, an increase in skeletal muscle glucose uptake, and increase in insulin secretion. The Times 1 study presented during the EASD symposium reported a placebo-corrected mean HbA1c change of minus 0.87% and a favourable safety profile. So looking across literature, it seems that the diabetes clinical landscape is set to change over the next few years, with an increasing role for technologies alongside potential therapeutics with novel mechanisms. That said, nobody can see the future. So what should we be doing to keep ahead of the curve? Joining us to answer that very question is Dr. Venita Aroda of Brigham and Women's Hospital of Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Aroda. So our first question would be, as the use of wearable devices increases and apps become more integrated into services such as Apple Health, how do you foresee the patient-clinician relationship changing? Will an abundance of data simplify or complicate clinical practice? That's a timeless question because I think um, if you look back at our history, technology has always created that push and pull with us of you know, eventually simplifying and enhancing our lives, but in the process being a little bit complicated and figuring out what and where and who and how. And so I think we might see that again at the clinic level in that um, we have to remember the patient always remains at the center. So if the technology is there to enhance that patient-clinician relationship, to empower, to educate, to, you know, create uh, data that's usable, that can create actions, then, then I think it will simplify and enhance um, what we're able to do. But if it's just technology without the aspects of education, then it's it's just that it's technology and, and the function is much more limited. Um, but I do see technology and apps becoming more integrated, enhancing what we are able to do and giving us other slivers of look at um, the data right before us. Thank you so much. So our second question, what technologies do you foresee becoming routinely used in type 2 diabetes? For example, will physicians routinely recommend fitness trackers as an adjunct to other therapies? Great question. I do see that um, in select populations, we are seeing just the whole concept of continuous glucose monitoring, for example, uh, really 
increasing the quality of the conversation as well as enhancing our knowledge of what is going on with the patient and with their with, with their body. So the greater we are able to enhance the data in front of us and make sense of it, I, I think it'll become more integrated. Uh, to your question about fitness trackers, for example, I do think that there will be two drives towards technology. I mean, one is from the patient end where patients will be driven towards apps uh, that are in line with what they want out of life. So I think uh, a lot of people probably have on their phone some form of a fitness app um, as their own self-health uh, goals. Uh, and then the second drive is from the physician or clinician standpoint is which apps will enhance that uh, physician-patient relationship around the disease and around data. So I, I think that there are parallel uh, motivations and drivers towards use of technology, and then the ideal will be the common ground that facilitates the conversation between the clinician and the patient surrounding the patient. Wonderful. Turning now to pharmacological therapies, what developmental compounds and novel drug classes would you consider ones to watch out for? So I think if we look back at the last year, we will have some good insight into what to look for in the coming years. I mean, just to highlight some of the key studies and trends in the last year, in this last year, we saw great outcome studies with both the SGLP2 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists. For example, uh, with the Rewind study, we saw um, you know, a more generalizable uh, reduction of cardiovascular events, um, you know, independent of the lower limit of A1C, as well as a, you know, a real focus on atherosclerotic effects. With SGLT2 inhibitors, with the Credence study, with DAPA heart, heart failure study, we are seeing the use beyond glycemia, where we're seeing the potential for reduction of chronic kidney disease and reduction of heart failure. So I think um, we, in this next year, I think we're going to still see a lot of data from these two classes, not just in terms of glucose modification, but in terms of outcomes modification um, of outcomes of interest and morbidities of interest for our patients with diabetes. Uh, other big highlights from this last year, there was the Verify study, which looked at early combination treatments. So again, this last decade brought to us a lot of new classes in medicines, a lot of new tools. And now the concept of is earlier combination treatment better? And I think we saw some tantalizing data that, you know, two medications at diabetes onset um, had better longer-term effects and longer durability than uh, single treatment alone. And then the third one, um, in the GLP-1 receptor agonist class, we saw the completion of the phase three program and approval of the first oral GLP-1 receptor agonist, oral synaglutide. And I think um, that potentially opens the 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 door to broader accessibility to this class of medicines and its potential effects. Um, so what to look for in the coming years? I think in the GLP-1 receptor agonist space, we're seeing a couple new agents entering into phase three, trisepatide, espeglenotide. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what the outcome is of the implantable exenotide um, that completed its phase three program. Um, I, and, and again, I think... Uh, disease-focused outcomes beyond glycemia. I think our approaches to data, approaches to studies have gotten really sophisticated um, that we are able to look at key questions that maybe we weren't able to do before. 
So looking specifically at drug classes that don't fall into the categories of GLP-1 receptor agonists, SGLT2 inhibitors, or other currently available drug classes, are there any particular novel therapeutics that we should be looking out for over the next year? Um, sure, there are. There is another compound, imaglumin. Um, it's targeting mitochondrial dysfunction, which um, again is now another look at physiology and, and layers uh, there. Um, in addition, I do think that there is high interest and in a lot of data still emerging on a bariatric approach to metabolic disease. So not just bariatric surgery, but endoscopic approaches to you know the underlying uh, pathophysiology. So I, I do think that there's still continued interest there. Um, beyond that, I, I think that there will be a lot of focus still on complications and comorbidities related to type 2 diabetes. And we've seen this with the heart failure story. So are there pathways that we can target um, in patients who are at higher risk of these longer-term complications? Um, I think that we will start seeing uh, novel areas uh, beginning to, tar to target some of these complications. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today. This brings us to the end of today's time. To summarize, over the next few years, we can anticipate a growing role of technology as a partner in monitoring patient health and directing treatment decisions. By working together with patients to identify software and devices that best suit them, we can help to improve self-management and reporting to optimize treatment decisions. Similarly, with novel therapeutics on the horizon, it's never been more important for us to keep up to date with new developments in diabetes. With that in mind, if you'd like to hear more from us at Diabetes Knowledge and Practice and you haven't done so already, please do subscribe to the podcast using your favourite app. If you found this episode useful, we'd appreciate you leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts or tweet us at DKI Practice. We also have a range of additional free accredited CME content at knowledgeandpractice.eu. Thank you for joining. Join us again in another two weeks for the first episode of our second series. We look forward to joining you there.